This train carries nerds and dorks. This train carries hobbits and orcs. This train carries Borgs and Romulans. This train carries lost Jedi. This train bond will not be thwarted. This train Mando will be rewarded. This train here are two beeping this train. Engines warp speed in. Good evening, Dorkfest Nation. We are so pleased to have you in this audible land of hope and dreams for another heart pounding, bulkhead shaking, photon torpedo breaking, infinity stone wielding, lightsaber rattling edition of Dorkfest the podcast. I'm Dan Freemuth, and for the purposes of this particular set, I'll be serving as the boss for these proceedings, but you can't tackle this material by yourself. You gotta have help, and that's why I'm so pleased to introduce the Secretary of Intelligence, the Dean of the University of Dorkfest Perversity, and the man who has multiple options for every warm-up question, Jordan. It's good to see all the midnight dorks assembled. Rendezvous for a good episode. Next up, it's the foundation of Dorkfest Nation, the guy that brings the film school terminology show after show after show after show, the Maryland Marvel, Gabe. And I am happy to be in attendance here at this show. I'm just coming in from the darkness at the edge of town here. Uh, and being sort of the, the Bruce neophyte among us, not that I'm unfamiliar with the man, but with his extended work, certainly I'm, I'm looking to learn as much as anybody in our listening audience today about the boss. Thank you so much, Gabe. And last but not least, last but not least, I'm talking about the minister of quotes, secretary of the FGA and keeper of all that is righteous on Dorkfest, the podcast. Do I have to say his name? The big man, Josh. I'm going to sit back right easy and laugh while Scooter and the big man bust this podcast in half. We are going to do our best to keep the podcast intact, but invariably it will be busted in half, if not many more pieces than that. Thank you so much. Dork Fest Street Band for joining us for this particular show. Folks, if you are not aware yet, probably you've tuned off a long time ago because this time out, we are going to be discussing the boss himself, Bruce Springsteen. We're going to be breaking down some of our favorite songs and favorite albums from the boss who has been rolling out the tunes for going on 50 plus, well, 40, 50 plus years at this point. We're going to be doing a little story time, sharing some of our favorite Bruce memories, and ultimately we are going to hopefully come to a conclusion as to what makes Bruce Springsteen the boss. Now, this episode is particularly timely because it was not all that long ago that Bruce released his 20th studio album. In fact, in late October, Letter to You was released by the boss, a full E Street offering recorded in the span of less than a week at Bruce's home studio in New Jersey. The album is fantastic. If you haven't listened to it yet, we strongly encourage you to do so, but that was a nice prompt, not only for this episode to be able to talk about the boss himself, but also 
for our warm-up question. So let's start off easy, gentlemen, a softball lobbed underhand. Warm-up question on this particular episode, what is your favorite track on Bruce's newest album, Letter to You? Gabo, let's start with you. Well, thank you very much. And um, yeah, I've uh, just, I suppose, as has everybody, just started listening to this because it's brand new. So I'm not behind... uh, I'm not behind the rest of y'all on this one, but that'll be the only, uh, this will be the only album for which this is the case. Um, but I mean, it's, I'll be interested to see what you guys say about this. To me, this sounds opening track to closing track as strong as anything the boss has come up with since the, ni- the early 1970s. Um, I'm a little, uh, a little embarrassed to make the pick because it's going to sound like I didn't do my homework and listen to it all, but I did. But I really, really like the opening track of Letter to You, One Minute You're Here. Um, this to me is, it's a really soft and gentle song and, and it, for me, exemplifies, I think, some of the qualities of Springsteen's music um, that has attracted me to individual songs like this in the past. He's great at the rock and stomp him stuff, him and the E Street Band, or just him, depending on how he's, how he's moving and shaking, but um, he's capable of a great gentleness with his songs, too, and I think this, this track is a really great example of that. Tremendous choice, Gabe, and, and very well reasoned on your part. I, I think you make some really good points there about, about that track. I think it actually bookends really well with another track, but I don't want to get too deep into that in case somebody decides to go in a different direction. So, Josh, let's go to you next for your favorite track on Letter to You. I'm going to snag this one before you do, Dan. My favorite is Janie Needs a Shooter. Um, th- there's some interesting trivia behind this song. It's a it's actually a song that Bruce has been holding on to for about 40 years. Him and Warren Zevon worked on it. Zevon released a version of it. I just think this Bruce's version is is classic throwback Bruce. I, and I, I love the Bruce songs where he creates these characters, and Janie is definitely that. It's just a rocking tune. Janie Needs a Shooter, my favorite off the new album. Excellent choice there, Josh. And yeah, for sure, one that I absolutely considered and ultimately is probably my favorite track. One of the three songs from the 70s, the pre-Greetings era that find their way onto this album via 2020 recordings. Uh, A great song to be sure. I'm going to ultimately go with, though, and and this is going to sound similar to the route that Gabe went, where it's going to sound like I didn't do my homework. Uh, but I'm going to say the title track, Letter to You. I think it rocks in that traditional E Street band kind of style, but it also feels very in the moment of what this album is all about. And Bruce is clearly going through a lot of self-reflection on this album, kind of understanding his place, not only in history, but also in the standing of musicians that he's worked with uh, previously who may or you know may not any longer be with us but you know Bruce has ultimately wanted to have at least in my opinion a conversation with his audience that it's been the desire to have that conversation with the audience that has kind of driven his art and I think that's exactly what this song is about his letter to you and this is one particular letter within an album full of letters on the heels of 19 other albums and B-sides and outtakes of letters to us. But um, so I I think it's very symbolic of sort of what his mission has always been about. Plus the tune just rocks. So give me letter to you, Jordan, uh, round us out here. What's your favorite cut off of letter to you? Sure. This will come as no surprise, but I had several options that I was thinking about here. Um, Josh, just to 
talk briefly about Janie Needs a Shooter. That was definitely going to be my first choice. It's the one song on this album that I just find myself wanting to listen to again and again and again. Like you said, it just rocks. Then also it's a, it's a great, it's a great character development song, which is something that Bruce is well known for and something we're going to be talking about a lot in reference to him tonight um the song that i'll go with though and i'm happy that it's still here uh fourth out of four picks is if i was a priest um i think this is another song that's you know something that bruce does really really well not only in the character development but then he also tells wonderful stories in terms of his songs too and i think this is a good example of that also gabe going back to what you said about the soft start to the album i love the soft start to this song it it almost takes you a little bit off guard in terms of that and then it's a really it's it's kind of a slow build throughout the rest of the song as well josh you also mentioned some of the the trivia the the references within different songs and that was something that i liked about this song too you had some really smart lyrics you know part of the chorus is papa road shotgun on the fargo line which is reference to the wells fargo line and and the the officers security officers security officers that would be on that train line um, in the, I believe, I guess it would have been the 18th or 19th century. Ultimately, I think why this is my favorite song on the new album is so much of what makes the boss great. And we'll talk about this later is knowing how good the songs will or do sound live. And this is a song that, you know, hopefully there will come a day soon when we can see the boss live again. I can't wait to hear what this one sounds like live. Great selection, Jordan. Great choices all. And and to your point there, Jordy. Yeah. I think, um, I think we're all chomping at the bit to be able to hear these songs live. You got to believe that Bruce and the E street band are ready to get back out on the road. And I suspect when we do get the green light and realistically we're probably staring down 2022 by the time that, you know, world tours and things of that nature, or even U S tours are, you know, commonplace again, I suspect when that time comes, Bruce is going to throw the party of all parties. And uh, I know this group will be very, very happy to be there to join the boss for that party. Thank you all gents. Really appreciate the choices. Interesting that we kind of had two new picks between Gabe and myself, and then two of of the more veteran picks from Josh and Jordan, the pre greetings from Asbury park era, otherwise known as the time period when Bruce thought he was getting paid by the word. Very Dylan-esque in some of his early songwriting. But our warm-up question, kind of a little teaser into what is now going to move into our one-point question. We just talked about our favorite songs off of Letter to You. Of course, Bruce's 20th studio album. He released his first album back in 1973, Greetings from Asbury Park. And in between, there's been a whole heck of a lot to love from the boss. So very simply put, for one point, gentlemen, what are some of your favorite Bruce Springsteen albums and songs? Josh, we begin with you. I'm going to take my stand down in jungle land. Um, When I was a teenager, I was having a conversation with a friend's dad and he was asking me, uh, you know, like what I I wasn't into the the bands that uh, like Blink-182 so much that my friends were into. And so he was asking me what I liked, what are some of my favorite songs? And I said, eh, Stairway to Heaven, Terrapin Station, Shine On You Crazy Diamond. And so he says, oh, you're the guy at a party who you like to start hearing a song in one room, go into another room for a few minutes, come back and have that same song still playing. 
And I said to him, what's a party? No. Uh, and I said, like, yeah, I, I do kind of like, you know, longer songs like that. And Jungle Land certainly uh, applies, clocking in at nine and a half minutes. Um, everything's great about everything that is great about Bruce and the E Street Band can be found in this song. Uh, there's a rip and roaring guitar solo by little Steven. There's roaring sax by Clarence. Bruce is doing his sort of like Latin street poet thing in the chorus or in the verses, and then really belts out the chorus. And the, the, the ending to this song, I, I think is an exclamation point in the way that I've discussed exclamation points in some movies like Jaws and Jurassic Park. This is this song the ending to this song specifically down in jungle land is an exclamation point to the whole born to run album i'm not gonna follow that somebody else talk yeah okay well podcast over josh made the best point he gets all six available points that's that's pretty that's pretty much it right there i got skin like leather and the diamond hard look of a cobra dude you got the points okay I mean, you, you can't argue with anything that Josh said because Jungle Land is, you know, one of those seminal Bruce songs. And it really says something that that song stands out the way that it does on that particular album, which also features the likes of Born to Run and for my money, my favorite Bruce Springsteen song in Thunder Road. And Thunder Road plays so well to me because it can be that slow, soft, kind of thoughtful Bruce offering that Gabe alluded to with the leadoff track to Letter to You, but it also can kind of rock. And it just, it basically epitomizes everything that I think Bruce, maybe more so by himself, can accomplish. And Josh, I liked how you pointed out some of the other members of the E Street Band and why Jungle Land works so well. Thunder Road work can work as just kind of exclusively a Bruce tune. And it's great when it has the E Street Band, but even just Bruce by himself on a piano, those lyrics are so beautifully, poetically written. More of that character development that Bruce gets into, you can, you know, you can see these characters, you can imagine being in their shoes, you can imagine sitting in the car, you know, waiting for Mary to come down the steps. Just the, the way that he's able to drop you into these scenes with these characters who either you see a lot of yourself in these characters or you see a lot of others in these characters. I think that's a really special and unique talent. It's also, I mean, Thunder Road specifically is just a beautifully written piece of music. So is Born to Run. So is just about every other song on that album. But yeah, I mean, if Josh is going to throw down the haymaker with Jungle Land, I'm just going to go right back at it with Thunder Road then too. And to try to keep up in that same rotation, I mean, I mean, Dan, you talked briefly about all of the great songs on that album. For my money, Backstreets is right up there, too. And also 10th Avenue Freeze Out, which, you know, we, we talk about the boss and we talk about um, how enjoyable his songs are. And, like, just what a fun song. Like, what a, like... We'll talk, we'll talk a little bit later about seeing the boss live and how it's like a party. I mean, that song is like a party in 10th Avenue freeze out. Um, and, you know, it's just, you look at that whole album in Born to Run and there's, there's one, you know, albeit I think agreed upon weak spot in meeting across the river. But beyond that, I mean, it is, it is nearly a perfect album. 
and and I, and I think that's it's it's a testament not only to the kind of songs that the boss can produce, but then also just to his musical aptitude to be able to create an album like this. I mean, I think something we're going to find amongst the dozens of songs and and number of albums that we'll discuss tonight, Bruce is always painting, again, with or without the E Street Band, on a huge canvas. And that's whether in terms of depth of storytelling and character, or if he just has every instrument he could think of on stage with him, um, you know, all playing in this, you know, in a wall of sound to beat all walls of sound. I mean, at, at the at the Thunder Road, Glory Days, Born to Run, The Rising Best, I mean, it is pure stomp your feet Americana rock music. I mean, you can't help but at least tap along to it. And there's just few artists that can do that in the way that not only Bruce can, but has for the last, you know, 40 years. And Gabe, I love that you bring that up because it makes me think of some, you know, we're talking about the albums and songs that we love by the boss, but it also then makes me think about, well, what types of songs and albums do I love the most? And and I do feel a little bit torn between those those rocking tunes that you're talking about, those songs that you hear on the album, as I referenced earlier with If I Was a Priest, these songs that you know that you hear on the album and you know that when you hear them live, they are just going to rock in, in, in the arena. But then on the flip side, you also have these songs that are personal, that are developing characters, that are telling you a story and telling you a story about, I think, I think one thing that Bruce does with so many of his songs um, is he creates a vivid depiction of a place that could be any place and of people that could be any people. And in that way, so many of the songs that you hear are just immensely relatable. Um, you know, I think you see that in a lot of the tracks on Born to Run. I think you also see it in a lot of tracks of Darkness on the Edge of Town. Again, just creating characters and places that are immensely relatable. Well, speaking of darkness, I think the conversation then goes to a lot of people assume and maybe rightfully so that born to run is Bruce's strongest album. Uh, I for one would actually take darkness on the edge of town over born to run. I think it's one of these weird situations where if it was a desert Island situation, I probably go born to run, but outside of the desert Island, I think darkness is the stronger album. I think they each have one song that you probably are like, yeah, I could, I could live without meeting across the river and I could live without factory. But after that, I mean, on Darkness on the Edge of Town, I can't live without Badlands. And I can't live without The Promised Land. And I can't live without Racing in the Street. And I can't live without Darkness on the Edge of Town. So, you know, so now what do I do? I mean, these songs are all tremendous, whether it's album versions or live versions. And I mean, personally, as great as Thunder Road as a song is, I actually think Badlands is my favorite Bruce Springsteen song of all time. It, the song just rocks. I also, you know, have some fun memories associated with that song. And I think that song really rocks live. But I think the rest of that album is just so immensely strong. And I think a song like The Promised Land is one that I probably didn't come to right away in Bruce's catalog because you hear it's that's a hit, but it's not on a hit on the level of a born to run or thunder road or 10th Avenue freeze out or, you know, or hungry heart. And so you come to that song a little bit later on. And the other thing I think with a song like that 
and and really throughout Bruce's catalog, what I think makes the music so strong is that you connect to his music in different ways at different points in your life and at different points in your personal experiences. Songs that really hit you and connected with you at one point may always do that to a, you know varying degrees, but then you may also come to different songs and hear something different or, or connect with something different as you grow, as you mature, as you gain different life experiences. And that's not to say that you have to have a mature, refined sense of sound and musicianship to appreciate the boss, because that's absolutely not true. The music, a lot of it is just fun and foot stomping and party time. But I think there's also a lot of depth there that that's part of what makes him so strong is a lot of songs that you can connect with at various points in your life and through various experiences. On the Born to Run versus Darkness argument, shockingly, I'm going to disagree with Dan. I, I, red I, alert, I, red alert. Josh just, disagrees with Dan. <laughs> Stop the presses. I just think with with, with Born to Run, it's it, it reminds me of a lot of arguments in in the sports world about like what the best baseball team ever was and people will talk about the 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 big red machine or some of some of the newer yankee teams or some of the newer red sox teams like guys it's the team with babe ruth and lou gehrig on it and let's just stop arguing about that the best album the best bruce album is the album with born to run and thunder road on it like (laughs) I, I don't think I – that's kind of my opinion on it. I, I, I did this exercise where I uh, painstakingly ranked my top ten Bruce songs, and, and in the end it got to be like choosing from Russia with love or Goldfinger. It, it was agonizing. But the top four were all off Born to Run. So clearly that's my favorite, and uh, so, so I, I think it's pretty, pretty obvious that that's the, the one that I think is best. Not that darkness isn't great. I, I, I really, it's only within the last like two or three years that I've come to uh, songs like uh, Racing in the Street, which is now in my top 10. Um, there are some unbelievable songs on there. I, I, I just think, you know, it's the, it's the one with Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig on it. Ultimately, this probably won't be that surprising, but I'm going to err on the side of caution and say that Josh is right. Um, as he is with most things when it comes to Dorkfest, the podcast. Well, but that's Dork- the great thing about music is it's not a right-wrong thing. That's, that's, that's true. That's true. And, and you're right. You, you're right in, in many senses, Josh, as always. But I think ultimately I do agree that between the two, Born to Run is the superior album. Um, but it's close. And in listening to both of these albums, I listened to both of these albums several times in their entirety over the course of the last week to try to figure out where I stood in terms of this debate. And ultimately, I think I came to a couple of conclusions. One, I think Born to Run, for me, the degree of difficulty is a little bit higher because everything just feels so condensed in that song. It's only eight tra- tracks long. Now, granted, Jungle Land is almost 10 minutes. So that increases the length a little That, that increases the total track time a little bit. Um, but another conclusion that I came to is that, you know, ultimately, I think that it's it's sort of rare, um, or maybe it speaks to just the musical aptitude of Bruce Springsteen, that you have ultimately, what are two great albums? Like, I guess the conclusion that I came to is that 
the second best Bruce Springsteen album, which for me is Darkness on the Edge of Town, is far better than most bands or artists' first best album. And that's just where it kind of comes down for me. I don't know enough to have an opinion one way or another. So what I'm going to do instead is ask questions that make me sound smart. What, uh, what are guys, the major differences do you think between these two albums? Like, what is it that makes, is it, is, I mean, right now it sounds to me that Born to Run maybe just has by chance, you know, slightly more songs that are better or in, in the Bruce canon. Well, I, I mean, as you may be able to tell from the, the, the names, Darkness on the Edge of Town, I think, is a considerably more serious album in tone and in, in substance. There is some genuine anger in, in those songs, and you can interpret some dissatisfaction with Bruce's life in, in Born to Run, but it's like an adventure. It's like, I, you know, I, I don't like it here, and so I'm going to go out and have this adventure, and it's much more positive and uplifting-looking. Uh, whereas with darkness, I think it's a lot more about this is the crap that I've endured and this is why I'm leaving or this is the crap that I'm enduring in this place where I have run to, you know, or, or this is why running didn't live up to the expectations that I thought it maybe had. And so I think that's where the, an easy argument can be made. I think that darkness is a more substantial album uh, in content but and and that born to run is is a more fun album it's fascinating I think, that they're back to back i mean one is born to run is 75 and darkness on the edge of town is 78 it looks like yeah well and i think ultimately the difficulty in the question or the difficulty in answering the question that you asked gabe is that both of them have a, a lot of great songs. I mean, for me, I, 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 in looking at these two albums, I ranked, you know, one through eight for Born to Run and one through 10 for Darkness, um, just in terms of the songs. And just looking at the top four for Born to Run, you have Born to Run, Thunder Road, Backstreets, Jungle Land. Again, that's my top four from that album. For Darkness, you have Badlands, Darkness, The Promised Land, Racing the Street. So you have right there, top four, it's really, really close. Um, for me, I'm wondering if, you know, I, I think Born to Run slightly sneaks ahead, but maybe this is more of a 1A, 1B sort of situation. That's what it sounds like. I think it's definitely a, a 1A, 1B kind of situation. I do also think, I mean, I, I could not have said it any better than Josh did when comparing, I think, the things that Bruce is thinking and the things that he has experienced between those two albums. Yeah. Born to run is, is exactly that. It's, it's, I don't like it here. That's okay. I'm just going to pack up, you know, the back of my Cadillac and we're going to go and, you know, find somewhere else. Whereas darkness on the edge of town is very much, wait a minute. What if every place is like this? And what if the hardships that I'm encountering are just just part of life, um, and I think yeah. I mean, Josh, there is there is some anger in that album. There's I think some tonal anger. You know, a song like Adam Raised to Cain. I mean, he's genuinely yelling during that song. But I think there's also kind of a, a broken heartedness 
that exists in the tone of some of those songs. I, I just, I wanted to pull up the lines because I wanted to make sure I got it right. And one of the, uh, the promised land is, is after Badlands, my favorite song off that album. And I, I, I think it, it's a catchy, fun live song, but it, it does dig pretty deep. And there's one moment later on in the song. It's a great sing-along moment in a live setting, but the line is blow away the dreams that tear you apart blow away the dreams that break your heart, blow away the lies that leave you nothing but lost and broken hearted. And in other words, it's like, there's all this bad stuff. You got to blow it away, which is sort of a hopeful turn, but it does acknowledge that there's all this crap that you're dealing with. And to be perfectly honest, there's a very real chance that I'm connecting with this album a lot more than born to run at this moment in time because of this moment in time. And maybe that has something to do with it as well that I don't on this particular day right now feel as hopeful as maybe I, I normally, you know, would after seven months of quarantine. But um, yeah, I, I think, I think Josh said it beautifully about the differences between these two albums. I love them both dearly. Uh, but the one A to me is darkness to the one B that is born to run. Yeah, Jordan's one uh, A one B phrasing there, I think does, and this is, I guess, my follow up because it, it does sound like yeah, born to run, darkness on the edge of town, one A one B, however you want to slice it. So now I want to ask you guys, then having established that, where do each of you fall on the number three album? I, I'd be curious now to see, you know, y'all, you're in such agreement about these two, just in you know minor placing. So where do you fall for what's what's the next best effort from from Bruce? Dan, what do you think? Because I think you you did a, a comprehensive ranking of the albums recently. Yeah, I did, and so I would say a Born in the USA is next for me. Um, I suspect that will also chime in for other people. So I'm going to instead stick up for a different album that's in a very different phase in Bruce's career. And, and that album is the Tunnel of Love album, which is in that weird spot for Bruce where the E Street Band isn't really around anymore. And it's in that period where he records kind of as a solo artist with some session musicians. Um, it was just before Human Touch and Lucky Town, which are not albums that I particularly enjoy a whole heck of a lot, but I think there are some fun songs on there. Um, but but I, think, I think Tunnel of Love is a seriously underrated album. It's basically the more mature romance love album produced by Bruce Springsteen, who now as an adult looks back on love, not in that, hopeful Janie sort of way that he did in Rosalita or in in Born to Run now we've we've gone through some of the trials and tribulations of love we've gone through breakups we've gone through family situations um it it is a bit of a more serious album i don't it, it's not dark but like i guess the content in it is is a bit heavier but the album is is just really stinking good. You know, whether it's Tougher Than The Rest, which is, I mean, it's just a phenomenal song. And when he duets it with Patty, I think it means a whole heck of a lot more. Uh, Brilliant Disguise is an awesome, awesome song. And two lesser known tracks that if, if folks are not familiar with the album, One Step Up 
and then the album closer Valentine's Day. Um, I strongly encourage you to listen to those songs because I, I think there's a lot of depth and there's a lot to be had on that particular album, which I know is not necessarily a, a crowd pleaser, but that's that's kind of what I'm thinking. Yeah, Dan, I mean, I'll, I'll admit that I'm surprised that that's the one that you would go to. I think Born in the USA is, is an obvious selection. I'm going to go in a different direction too. My answer comes from a more personal space. And, and I'm going to say that number three for me is The Rising. 2002. Um, and I think for me, this ultimately comes down to, this, this is a, this is a pretty, you know, go back to our conversation regarding Born to Run and Darkness on the Edge of Town. We've talked about characters coming to us fully formed. I think those are albums that came to us sort of fully formed. And I think The Rising is another album that comes sort of fully formed and intact in its presentation. This is obviously following the September 11th attacks. And for me, I think ultimately why this ranks so high for me is that in terms of a personal degree you know Bruce was an artist that whose whose songs that we had heard growing up over and over and over again but but you hear them knowing that these are songs that were written you know before we were born or slightly after we were born but they we weren't really present in their creation um, or in the moment that they were produced and this was Bruce and the E Street Band presenting these songs, producing these songs, giving us these songs in this moment when I could start to understand that music didn't have to be just music. Um, so for that reason, I think the Rising Union, obviously I have a bunch of great tunes on there. That would be my number three. My number three is 1973's The Wild, The Innocent, and The E Street Shuffle. I'm a sucker for cool album names, and this is a really cool album name. Sparks fly on E Street with this album. Um, like Dan talked about Bruce getting paid by the word. Holy moly, did he rake it in uh, on this album. But I, I think he does create some of those cool characters and pictures that we've talked about before. Spanish Johnny, Puerto Rican Jane, Sloppy Sue, and Big Balls Billy. And it's got Rosalita, which is a top 10 song for me, and I suspect a lot of other Bruce fans, and a song that always goes over great live. There's some other great wordplay. One of my favorite little couplets in um, in E Street Shuffle is dressed in snakeskin suits packed with De Detroit muscle. They're doing the E Street Shuffle. Just a, a you know, couple of lines that I find myself repeating every now and then with, with, with a little groove to it. I, that, that, that's, that's my number three. This is fascinating. I'm just trying to keep, I'm, I've sort of got a scrolling list of this discography here in front of me while you guys are doing this. And all three of you guys, this is kind of what I was hoping for, just out of intellectual curiosity, was all of you guys went in different directions. Josh went right back to the beginning. Um, Dan jumped ahead a few years into into the 80s, later in the 80s for Tunnel Love, and, and Jordan went uh, to the album that um, I have a little more knowledge of as well, I guess, for more recently with The Rising. That's just, it's interesting that we're all jumping around the, the Springsteen map. Um, and that actually brings me to my closing fo uh, follow-up here. And I thank you for coming to my Bruce Springsteen Curiosity TED Talk. Where then uh, does the album we discussed here at the top of the podcast fall for you guys? Not that you have these, except for Dan, apparently. Not that you have these, you know, readily, readily listed in front of you. Um, but letter to you, where... Um, in the in the hierarchy of Bruce's discography, it's clearly not at the bottom. But yeah, is it is it on your top ten? Say, is it in your top five? 
Yeah, I imagine Dan's um, album discography is kind of like a scene out of a beautiful mind where he's trying to figure out, well, where do, where do all of these fit and, and how does any of this make sense? Um, but, it's far but, more complex than that. Yeah, I have no doubt. But you, Gabe, in reference to your question with the letter, with letter to you, I just, I just spoke about how I think, you know, for me, the number three album is The Rising. In terms of, you know, Chronologically, I think Letter to You is the strongest thing that Bruce and the E Street Band has done since The Rising. You unfortunately don't have Clarence Clemens anymore, but you do do have his nephew providing saxophone on Letter to You. Maybe it's not coincidental that after The Rising, you have this, you have a moment of national importance. You have a moment of of national emotion, I guess I'll call it. Um, and you have the rising come after that. And, and maybe it's not coincidental that at, that for letter you have, you have, you have a similarly emotional moment that we're encountering at this time. And maybe that's part of why I'm feeling that, but it's also just a really, really strong album from beginning to end. I think the correct answer for me, Gabe, is that it's too soon to tell. Uh, with all the Bruce albums that have come out since I was a teenager, I, I regularly spend about two weeks with each of them. And then it's kind of like which ones endure and which ones don't. And it's, I guess it's it, over that time, it's been more so that there's specific songs that endure and the rest of them fall by the wayside. Uh, I, I spent quite a bit of time with Western stars when it came out last year. And now there's really only one song that I come back to on, on that album that, that there's, there's three off of Wrecking Ball that I really, really like. Uh, so I guess all, all I can really say that I really say right now is that I really, really like it right now. And I think similarly to Wrecking Ball, there's probably going to be about three, maybe four songs that I keep, that I continue coming back to, you know, two, three years from now. That's a, that's a excellent. And again, as ever, a well-reasoned and thoughtful answer. I, it, it, with respect to, um, your point about how many albums he's released since you were a teenager. I mean, the man and the band totally gets credit for being prolific. I mean, I, there's not a gap larger than I think the one between um, Ghost of Tom Joad and The Rising. I, I don't think there's been more than three years between albums in any of that time. And that's itself kind of rare. Yeah, there are some larger gaps in the 70s than yeah. there are in the yeah. in the. 20 teens yeah no he has been working well and the gap at least part of the gap between tom joad and the rising was the e street reunion tour which you know did 15 nights at metlife stadium and did a dozen nights at madison square garden and was you know sort of bruce and the e street band falling back in love with one another and and sharing that love with the audience so yeah, while they were not necessarily churning out albums, they were on the road and working as, you know, they've been doing for 45 years. That's almost not surprising then that something as polished as The Rising comes out of that. I mean, if these guys have just been doing that nonstop for like the, the five or seven years in between, then yeah, I mean, you might absolutely you get an album out of that. I'm pretty sure that The Rising was the first full E Street Band album since Born in the USA back in 1984. So, I mean, it had been it had been nearly 20 years since they did a full 
E Street Band album. Um, but you're right. I think they carried, you know, they parlayed the momentum from the reunion tour into that album. And, and Bruce has always, you know, I mean, yes, I'm biased, but Bruce has always responded to these, you know, moments of national emotion as Jordan, you know, I think eloquently coined it. Um, that that's really a recipe for a, a classic album to be sure. Um, we, we don't want to spend, you know, all day and all night, we could drive all night, but we don't need to spend all night talking about albums and songs. So let's do this just to round out our one point question. We're going to give everyone 10 seconds and you can just name any songs of Bruce's that you like that haven't been mentioned so far. So let's begin. Uh, Gabe, you've posed some really excellent follow-up questions and you know, the, the curiosity tour is, is well on its way. So any Bruce songs that haven't been mentioned so far that you're particularly curious about or, or enjoy? Uh, actually, yeah, there's a, there are a couple, I, I do want to note, I think Bruce Springsteen is perhaps the most underrated successful like artist to give actually good songs to movies. Um, I, off the top of my head, I can think of, there's like at least there's more than this, but I mean, you've got the wrestler, You've got Streets of Philadelphia. Uh, you got Dead Man Walking, which is actually, that's another one of those gentle um, and storyteller songs. That's, uh, I think, a really neat one. And there's others to boot. Um, actually, I think one that I, uh, I always kind of liked, and I could not for the life of me figure out what album it was on, and that's because it wasn't. Uh, I did a little digging. It's off one of the um, collections. I think it was from a movie called Limbo, but it's a, another really gentle tune called Lift Me Up that sees Bruce in kind of a, almost a falsetto ish range um it's it's very uncharacteristic and i think that's why it stuck out in my head i don't even know that i can necessarily call it a good song but i always find myself listening to it i think it's a, a really neat little oddity in in this canon of songs all right i'm going to see how many i can get through in my 10 seconds uh hard to be a saint in the city uh out in the street bobby jean dancing in the dark uh and then i'll do my three off of wrecking ball wrecking ball land of hope and dreams and American land and uh, hitchhiking off Western stars time. I don't know that he got that last one in actually, but just to piggyback on Josh, I did want to also mention it's hard to be a saint in city fun story to that song that, that he told in a concert that I saw, um, I guess it was 2016 when he played, uh, at Nash, uh, at the, the stadium in Washington, D.C., um, about how that was, you know, that was the song that he walked into the recording studio with. And, you know, th and that, that's a song that I've come to in my later years, but really, really enjoy. Just some other ones to talk about quickly. Um, Two Hearts, I think, is a great song. Out in the Street, as Josh said, also a great song. Um, Atlantic City, one that we haven't talked about yet. Another great tune um, off of perhaps an otherwise underwhelming album i think i also have to say when i say underwhelming album for bruce that doesn't necessarily mean that's a bad album it's just an under you know as we talked about earlier when you have born to run and darkness on the edge of town an underwhelming album might still be a very very good album um and then you know i mentioned the rising earlier i didn't mention the songs that i love off of the rising so i'll just talk just list those quickly um obviously the rising is great mary's place is a really really fun song kind of reminiscent of rosalita which josh mentioned earlier and I also really love Waiting on a Sunny Day. Um, I think that song really captures the moment that, um, that Bruce was and the E Street Band was performing this song within. So 
I was definitely way over 10 seconds, but getting paid by the minute. Bruce is often well past curfew at the various arenas that he plays. So I suppose, I suppose that's just in keeping then with the boss. I will just round out a couple tracks that were not mentioned that I really enjoy. The River, Off the River, Sherry Darling is just such a fun, fun song. I'm on Fire, Born in the USA track that wasn't mentioned. Uh, that, a couple B-sides that I really enjoy. You can find them on the tracks compilation. Loose End, which is a river outtake. It's a great song. And Janie makes another appearance. Actually, before Janie Needs a Shooter, Janie Don't You Lose Heart is a very uh, nice, uplifting tune. And then I will piggyback off of Western Stars. I think that album's really good. I still come back to it a year a year later. Uh, Moonlight Motel is quite possibly the most depressing song Bruce has ever written, and that's saying something. Um, but I also really like Tucson Train as well. I think our mom would be mad at us if we didn't mention She's the One. She really likes that song. And with that, we're going to award the one point in our one point question to Josh. This was an easy one. Uh, it may seem like recency bias there because he made the mom reference. It just spoiler alert, probably won't be the last uh, mom reference during this podcast, but uh, not actually, he's going to get it kind of half for that, but mostly he's getting it because Josh is the only one who respected the 10 seconds list your song timeline there. Uh, Gabe went a little over. I was willing to grant that because Gabe did a nice job posing questions to really spark conversation. Jordan, yours was inexcusable. You just wanted to list a lot of stuff, which I appreciate, but it was well beyond the 10 seconds. So Josh, congrats. One point to you, sir. I'm no hero. That's understood. All the redemption I can offer a girl is under this dirty Philadelphia Phillies hat. Wait, so this podcast isn't just us listing stuff? It is. What? It is, but it's within somewhat of a structured time format, which routinely goes out the window about seven seconds in. I was going to say, the last several podcasts determines that was a lie. <laughs> We're trying to keep this one on the tracks. And so with that, Josh, with a point in the bank, we move on to our two-point question. There have been so many memories for all of us, uh, not just us here on this podcast, but all the listeners out there. So many memories linked to the music of Bruce Springsteen. So it's simply time for story time here on Dorkfest, the podcast. For two points, what are some of your favorite memories associated with the music of Bruce Springsteen? Jordy, we begin with you. Yeah, I mean, so Dan, you you said a second ago that that you know that Josh's reference to our mother was not going to be the last reference to our mother, and I'd be remiss if I didn't say that you know our 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 mother is the one who who taught us the the glory that is Bruce Springsteen. One very very specific memory that I have, which then I think parlayed to another sort of continual memory that we had whenever we would see Bruce Springsteen live was listening to Badlands, a song that we've talked about plenty. Um, you know, when we would grow up, you'd get to that guitar and saxophone interlude in that song. And I have, you know, very, very specific, very vivid memories of the three of us humming along to that. Um, and then being so excited to experience that live and then to see that there's this whole other component to that to that interlude to that section of that song which then makes the live version of Badlands 
not even perhaps, but I think for my money, definitely better than the album version of Badlands. And, and I mean, it's, it's a great album song, but it's also a great live song. Um, and specifically tied into that memory is, is our mother. You know, she's the one who, I didn't mean to do that, but she's the one who, who taught us the way of this, of this music, of this, of this great artist. Simply put, shout out to Nancy Freeman. Yeah, she grew up uh, all of about 20 miles from Asbury Park, uh, would have been about 20 years old when, when these, you know, Bruce, the, the initial Bruce classic albums uh, were, were coming out and they, you know, quickly became her, her favorite albums. Bruce became her, her favorite musician. Uh, and uh, the, the, one of the earliest memories I have of, of rock music is in, in mom's old wood paneled Plymouth Voyager um, when a, a Bruce Springsteen song would come on the car radio and she would say, this is a classic. And that was the, that I was the code for don't you dare touch that preset button. Don't go looking for something by the, the Green Day or the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. We are listening to Jungle Land, and we are going to listen to all 10 minutes of it. This was um, where I learned to, to love Bruce Springsteen. And, um, you know, that, that, that's, that, that's even, you know, that, that, that's phrasing that, that, that I repeat in, in my own life with my own kids. I, they don't seem to care one way or the other when I say that a certain song is a classic, but I remember caring. So maybe, maybe um, in a few years, or maybe it'll be something that compiles in their collective subconscious. Someday you'll look back on it, Josh, and this will all seem funny. Well, I'll just, I'll, I'll jump in here and just follow up on the, the sort of mom influence and, and mom association memories with Bruce. I mean, yeah, the reason we were first introduced to Bruce, all of us is, is because of mom. And, and I think both of our parents have kind of helped form our musical interests, whether it's mom with Bruce and dire straits or dad with the likes of, um, you know, David Bowie and, and, and his love affair there. And, and I, for one, am, am very thankful that we had parents who were interested in music and ex exposed us to that at an early age. And, and what I love most about it is that it is, you know, the memories are not exclusively distant, that this is something that has carried through the years and, and are things that we continue to share um, with one another. It was not all that long ago in the grand scheme of things that uh, Josh, you and I and, and mom went to see Bruce at Citizens Bank Park. And we were sitting you know, in the outfield upper level of Citizens Bank Park. And so you're, you're far away from Bruce, but he always finds a way to make you feel like no matter how far away you are, that he's singing to you and he's connecting with you. And this was during the Wrecking Ball Tour. And at that time, this was back in 2012, um, Jersey Girl was not a staple song that he pulled out the way he has in recent years. And I distinctly remember on the drive to the concert, about a 45-minute drive, and so we're, we're posing various hypotheticals. And Josh, I don't remember if it was you or I that asked the question, if you could hear any one song at tonight's concert, what would it be? 
And I said, promised land. And Josh, you said whatever you said. And mom said, I know he's not going to play it. He doesn't really play it anymore. But I would love to hear Jersey Girl. Harkening back to the 1975 to 85 live album and, and being able to hear it on there. And we, oh, yeah, mom, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, maybe he will, knowing full well, like we've done our set list research. It's not on there. He just doesn't do it. And sure as you know what, about two thirds into the concert, it's during one of the slower portions. So I think at this point we're seated and I have this vivid memory of se being seated in the bleachers and mom's to the right. And she was standing at the time. And he even says like, I don't play this one all that often, but with where we are in Philly, just on the other side of Jersey, I got to break it out. And she, and like the look on her, like before he even got into the song, she knew exactly what the song was going to be. And in that moment, it felt like as, as far away as we were in the arena, it felt like Bruce was singing to her. And it's that kind of connectivity and ability that he has to engage with his audience that I think is quite frankly, a miracle. And, and I, I certainly will, will never forget you know, that moment for as long as I live, because I thought it was so perfect that the person who introduced me to this artist who is, you know, has now since become my favorite artist of all time, able to, you know, share this, this neat memory and, and moment together. So maybe this is a good time to focus on live Bruce for a while, because as great as all the albums are, and we did some what I like to think of as pretty comprehensive analysis of those albums. It's live Bruce that is the fullest experience. It's live Bruce that, that puts him over the top in terms of being a musical icon um, of our lifetimes. And that connection to the audience uh, is, is tremendous. But, and so it happens on the individual level for our mom in Jersey girl. But I also think it happens on a collective level, being this one of a sea of people. Uh, I mentioned this on our live album podcast about how I kind of didn't want to go see Bruce Springsteen the first time that Dan Jordan and I went to see him. And it was that prospect of being in this sea of people that sort of like tickled my fancy and, and, and totally uh, delivered. And one of the ways that the specific instances in the shows that I think that comes across the most clearly is when Bruce is introducing the band, uh, which Jordan in, in when he was moderating the music podcast paid homage to, and Dan did again today with this one, it's like a greatest hits album, but it, it's, it's, but it's not a song, you know, like it, it everybody knows the, the dean of the university of musical perversity uh you know everybody knows what's coming star of late night television um all, all these great little cues and then when you get to clarence at the end um and the most recent time that i saw bruce was the first time i had seen him since clarence passed and he he did a really lovely tribute to Clarence in that moment. And it was totally unexpected. You know, it was this emotional moment that you don't expect to have at a rock and roll concert, but Bruce Springsteen concerts are full of them. We'd all be remiss if we didn't 
talk about the live concert experience of Bruce Springsteen. And, you know, for me, when I was thinking about this, the, the sentiment that came to me was that live Bruce makes everything better. And I mean that both in a musical and an emotional sense, um, that seeing Bruce Spring, hearing Bruce Springsteen songs live for as great as they are on the album, they're better live. Maybe it's the experience, maybe it's the energy that no doubt he and the E Street Band are providing in that moment, but they're better live almost 100% of the time, if not 100% of the time. But I also mean that in terms of the emotional sense. Josh, you talked about like being one amongst a multitude of people. And I think that, you know, I'm, 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 I'm unfortunately blanking on like a specific time that he said something like this, but I feel like Bruce has, has talked about concerts as almost being like church as 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 if you are you are in church or as if you are one amongst the community of people in that moment um and i think that there's something really really emotionally pulling to that there's something um energizing about that um you know i i I think you know i i feel fortunate enough to have seen bruce springsteen and the e street band before clarence clemens had unfortunately passed um and then when i saw him most recently which i had alluded to earlier in 2016 in uh dc i had the fortune of going for uh, going with my wife uh my sister-in-law my brother-in-law and it was the first time that any of them had seen him live and it was sort of this moment of like i know all these people love bruce springsteen but hold on because if it's possible for you to love bruce springsteen even more you're going to by night's end and i think that's in large part just because of the the energy and the emotion that he pours into and the rest of the E Street Band pours into these live concerts and these live events. I will piggyback just quickly with a couple of uh, live stories. Josh talked about the, the sea of people. And for three of the four times that I've been lucky enough to see Bruce, I've been genuinely far away, um, except for the most recent time when I said, to hell with it. I'm going to spend the money. I'm going to take a day off of work and I'm going to stand in line and I'm, I'm going to do the pit. And, and being that close to Bruce and the E street band, that, that part was awesome. Um, of course, but the community that exists everywhere in a Bruce concert, but in that setting, you're, you know, you get in hours before the show. You don't have a, a designated seat. When you have a designated seat, you show up whenever you want and your seat's going to be your seat. So you stand in line and then you get there and, and so you stand in line with a bunch of people and then you get in there and now you stand in that spot with a bunch of people for a good long time. And this was only the second, and still to this point, is only the second, you know, large band pit experience that I've had. The only other one being with Gabe when we saw you two in the pit at Lincoln Financial Field. This was at Citizens Bank Park. And so you're there and you're hanging out, but you meet people, you converse. And anybody who's in the pit for a Bruce Springsteen concert is a fanatic. There are no casual Bruce fans, um, you know, in the pit at a Springsteen concert. And there were two young families around where I was. It was a father and a son. And you know, the father's middle-aged and the son is, is probably in his teen years, let's say, you know, freshman, sophomore in, in high school. But they've been to a lot of Springsteen shows together. Um, and then there's um, a, a younger family with two, two younger kids, probably 
you know, eight, 10, let's say, first time going to a Springsteen concert. And, and the little girl, you know, she's the youngest, the youngest one. So at one point he plays The Promised Land. And of course I'm geeked up because this is the first time I'm getting to see this song live. And as fate would have it, the promised land was a song on that tour that he did not do from the center of the stage. He wandered off to a particular side of the stage to perform that song. And sure as heck, it's right in front of where I'm at and, and where our little community of people are. And the end of that song for anybody who's familiar with it ends with a harmonica solo, except on this tour, I'm presuming every night on this tour, but on this particular night, Bruce tossed his harmonica into the crowd. And of course everybody's going, you know, you know what, and he tossed it to the little, you know, eight-year-old girl who's there for her first Springsteen show. It was so wonderful because everybody knew Bruce was going to toss it to this girl. She was up on her dad's shoulders. And it was very obvious, like, Bruce is making eye. This is where it's going. It's not a foul ball at a Phillies game that we need to fight, you know, a six-year-old over to get our hands on. Tosses it to her. Everybody makes sure she gets the harmonica. And then everybody's like, oh, can, can we just see it? We just want to see it. Just cool. Later on in that show, he plays Racing in the Street, which is a terribly depressing song, but it's great in concert. It's a great song. And the other family that I had mentioned, the father-son tandem, the son is just in tears. I mean, he is, he is bawling. And it's because they had gone to X number of shows together. And he had, you know, everybody's got their list of songs they want to hear. And that was the one that he had never heard, no matter how many shows they went to. And he heard it. And, and they embrace. And the kid, you know, because the kid's he's 15, 16 years old, and he's crying. And, the, you know, dad's got his arm around him. And it just felt like mission complete. And these moments had nothing to do with me, except that I was there. And it just was neat to see that, oh, wait a minute. Other people feel the way I do about this. It's basically like what this whole podcast is all about. This is an avenue for us to be able to talk about the things we like with like-minded people. And in our day-to-day lives, we don't, I don't know about you guys, but don't encounter a ton of people who love Star Trek and, you know, are super into Hobbit movies and, you know, eat, sleep, and breathe Bruce Springsteen music. But like in this setting, that's all it was. And it was just... It was just really cool. And I don't remember those people's names, but I remember, I remember those stories as if they happened yesterday. Uh, well, and I think Dan, you know, as, as you already kind of pointed out in there that like those people exist everywhere in these concerts. Right. And I think, you know, you have these and you tell these, these beautiful emotional stories of these people that you encounter. But I think you talked about that's so powerful is that, were those people and and those people do exist at, at every at every concert Dave I'm curious because you know we, we started off this conversation by talking about how you know our, our parents had introduced us to some different musical artists in general but then obviously our mother was the one who introduced us to Bruce Springsteen you know I, I wonder you know not necessarily with Bruce Springsteen but like what are the what are the familial connections that you feel to music and do you feel like there's any interlude or any connections between some of the things that we're talking about with Bruce Springsteen. More importantly, where did your dad drop the ball in neglecting your Bruce education? <laughs> Come on, Reeser. Well, he, Bruce Springsteen was popular. So of course, dad wasn't about that. Not only that, it was worse. He was American. So, I mean, that's, that's two strikes. That's basically three. He was out. 
Um, no, I actually did talk to my dad a little bit about this in the lead up to this. Um, and he, I won't say he admitted to dropping the ball, but he said words that could be construed as maybe meaning something similar. So, um, so you've got, you've got that going for you, which is nice. Um, but he did actually name check Nebraska um, as a, uh, as an album that um, was different from what had preceded some of its other work and that, and that he found very interesting and thoughtful. And, uh, um, and of course, you know, as, as time has gone on, and maybe this is where I get my, you know, gentler feel for some of the Springsteen songs that have stuck in, in my head. Um, no, to your point, uh, Jordan, yeah, no, the, um, <laughs> uh, sure, I mean, the familial connection I, I have with music is, you know, I got all the classic rock from my mom, and I got all the progressive rock and alternative rock from my dad. Um, everything else I discovered on my own. Um, and when it comes to Bruce, um, I mean, heck, my favorite live Bruce memory is rapidly becoming this podcast right now because I've been listening to you guys and enjoying the heck out of these stories and secretly hoping no one will notice that I have not seen the boss live <laughs> as yet. Uh, and I, I'm hoping I, after this, boy, am I hoping I'm going to get the chance. Yeah. All these stories, I got a head on collision smoking in my guts, man. Caught in a crossfire. I don't understand. I'm, I'm to understand that's a reference to something, I think. Yeah, Gabe, I was going to say that, that, that that's a Bruce Springsteen song. Right, One right. Thing I know sure, girl. No, 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 Gabe, that's a, that's a uh, recently released YouTube B-track. You didn't, you didn't know that? Oh, uh, no. You mean, I, I got that last um, week. I heard it from the uh, – I got a guy, um, Onob, he calls himself. <laughs> it's, a, it's like a code name. <laughs> Oh, Although actually, I will I will say I do have another favorite uh, Bruce memory. Um, and since you brought up the band, I, I won't feel as bad. Um, but several years back, they were doing a 25th um, like anniversary rock and roll celebration for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They were inducting a bunch of big artists. Among them happened to be U2. And they played a bunch of songs. And it was really cool. Um, they brought Patti Smith up for Because the Night, which is also a Bruce Springsteen song. And, and he was there, too. That's a great rendition. But they also brought Bruce up for I still haven't found what I'm looking for and um, it's a tremendous song in its own right no matter how you swing it and double that live but probably double that again um, this is probably the best version of the song that's out there um, Bono and Bruce trade off the lines of the song as they go Roy Batan is there on the keyboards um, and really just puts such a nice little bow on the song with a, a, a piano keyboard sort of interlude at, at the bridge where um, uh, normally you just have some you know meandering soaring edge guitar and also what's embarrassing very much to Bono is Bruce sings the absolute heck out of that song he beats him at his own game um it sounds like a Bruce song when he's singing it and that's the power of the guy they do a neat thing at the end too when they think uh, Bono sings lines from I think the promised land to wrap it up interchanged with Bruce finishing the the lines from still haven't found what I'm looking for uh, also, I guess of note for me, because again, I have not seen the man live. So the closest I get is, is recorded media um, or live media. In this case, uh, his, um, I think it was 2009 Super Bowl halftime show, uh, I thought was, was great. It's sort of, I look back, it's sort of in the middle of a run of uh, rock-based halftime shows uh, for the Super Bowl in this time. And um, surrounding him the previous year, I think Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, after that is the Who. And all I remember from Springsteen, is just energy. I mean, at that, you know, he's been, you know, what was previously considered to be over the hill by any standard, let alone rock standard, um, you know, 10, 20 years ago. And the, I, he's doing, you know, full slides on his knees across the B stage and hoisting himself up by the microphone stand. I mean, 
he just was looking like he was having so much fun performing out there. And that's, you know, and that's just the, at a distance, you know, the, a smidgen of what I'm feeling from you guys getting from the live stuff. No, I mean, he's, he's just fun to watch. Bruce also with a great cameo in High Fidelity. Thanks, boss. Thanks, boss. Indeed. Uh, love, love sharing the stories. Story time here on Dorkfest, the podcast is always, always a good time. I'm going to wrap this with just two real quick anecdotes. Both of them, um, not at all, strangely enough, associated with the song Badlands. I remember very early on uh, in my early driving days. So this is driving the old, that wood paneled van that Josh mentioned earlier in the show. I remember driving, it was either WMGK or WMMR. I don't, I don't know if it was Pierre Robert or John DeBell or whoever it was, you know, DJing and Badlands comes on. And they were so into it, they started humming along, like, I'm going to cut into the song with my, you know, my microphone and hum along. And it got to the end of the song and the DJ comes on and he's like, we're, we're going to listen to that song again. I just, that song is so good. We're just going to listen to it again. And he just rolled it again. And I'm 16 years old and I, you know, I'm a nerd who's never done anything wrong in my life. And, you know, I'm thinking this is bad. You know what? This is rock and roll, man. I'm going to play this song back to back because it's that good. Who cares? Um, so that's, that's one. And then I also, it's funny because we talked about the familial ties with these songs and Josh and Jordan, I don't know if either one of you guys remember this and, and I remember the visual I'm, I've been trying to piece together the moment in time. I think we picked up Josh at the airport but we were in the blue Lincoln town car, just the three of us driving back to the house, except Badlands was on the radio as we pulled into the drive. And we got there about halfway through the song, put her in park and just sat in the car and sung along to Badlands, just parked in the drive. But I distinctly remember that being like one of those first moments where it's like, we don't need our parents anymore to have a good time. And I feel like that's like, that's a thing that happens in life that you can't really trace to a specific moment because for the most part in your life, the only experiences you have up until a certain point are all with your parents. They're contingent upon your parents taking you places or buying you things or doing whatever. And yet this was one of those first moments where I was like, like we're all like grownups now. Like we're kind of our own, we're our own group here and we can do stuff and have fun on our own. So I, I, yeah, I don't know if you guys remember that or, or can piece together some of the details there. It's, it's a little bit hazy. I was in the backseat though. I was not driving. That's what I remember. So I, Dan, I totally remember that. Although interestingly, I, Josh would have been driving that. I, I don't think that I would have been driving, but we were picking him up. And so I, I'm having trouble piecing together the details with that. What's interesting about that is that, you know, I agree that it's, it's that moment in which you realize that we don't necessarily need our parents anymore to have fun. But I think as we start off this conversation for us, we're talking about Bruce Springsteen. I can't think about listening to Bruce Springsteen without thinking about our mother. Um, so in that regard, she's there even though she's not listening to us 
listening to it with us at that moment. So I think that's an extra component of the emotionality for me too. Um, you know, I even think about the fact that when Letter to You came out that, you know, mom's on the text chain as we're texting about this new album coming out because she's part of our cohort. She's part of the cohort that's listening. You know, you know, if in a future Dorkfest, the podcast episode, we're going to have to have an interview with Nancy Freemuth if we're really going to be having doing our due diligence in having a conversation about Bruce Springsteen. All I got to say is I love you guys with all the madness in my soul. Yes, indeed. And there's a reason we include mom on those text chains and not dad, because we all have learned a very painful lesson about what happens when he gets included on text chains. So thanks so much, uh, everybody, for indulging story time here on Dorkfest, the podcast. It is time to dole out some pointage, though, and the two points are going to go here to Jordan. Jordan's going to earn two points for first the first the point that he made about Bruce Springsteen referencing that, you know, coming to his shows is like church. There is a hugely religious component uh, that really filters through his music and in particular his live performances. Mostly, though, Jordan gets the two points for some last minute sucking up to Mama Freemuth. Well done, sir. Thank you much. Okay, so we've discussed story time with Bruce Springsteen. We've talked about some of favorite albums and songs from The Boss. This is one of the most accomplished singer-songwriters, rock and roll stars in the history of recorded music. He has sold more than 135 million albums worldwide, which includes more than 64 million in the United States alone. He's won 20 Grammys, two Golden Globes, an Academy Award, a Tony Award, inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1999, and just four short years ago, awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom from then-president Barack Obama. That stuff is all fine and good, but ultimately our three-point question is a very simple one. Simply asked, probably a little more difficult to answer. We're going to begin with you, Gabe, for three points. Ultimately, what makes Bruce Springsteen the boss? I appreciate you coming to me first on this one as the um, Padawan of Asbury Park here to... uh, just try and offer a humble two cents before I let the next two guys just rip over their way through, uh, through this excellent question. Um, and having listened to, you know, given the crash course I've given myself and Bruce Springsteen the past, uh, um, you know, several days, couple weeks here. And I think I referenced this earlier. I mean, you definitely have, it's the sound, you know, when you're listening to a Bruce Springsteen song, like Nancy picking up on Jersey girl immediately, you know, within the first few bars, what you're listening to. And, and I think, it's just, it sounds like to me in, in a way that Springsteen and the E Street Band, but Springsteen is, is the maestro of all of this, found a way to sort of put all of American music into a blender. And he's what came out the other side. You drink that and it sounds like Bruce Springsteen somehow. It's like Willy Wonka for your ears, I guess. I don't know exactly how this metaphor works. But I mean, you've got the, the variety of instrumentation. You've got everything you could possibly ask for you've got brass you know i remember that springsteen's probably one of the earliest times i heard brass in a rock song you know this is before uh pink floyd for me i wasn't you know listening to all that other stuff you know it it was if it wasn't john williams and it wasn't classical music i didn't know what brass was doing in a rock song and and there it was and it sounded great it's hard to put into words i guess so i'm gonna let the guys do it better but i think 
it's this indelible, it's the perfect American rock sound is what Bruce Springsteen carries the torch of. And I think nobody else has done it better. And certainly nobody else has done it for as long. Yeah, Gabe, I think, I think you hit the nail right, right on the head there in that Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band in general, but also, you know, just Bruce Springsteen specifically, creates a sound that is uniquely American. Um, and I think in times as divisive as those that we are living in right now, that's something to, at least to an extent, aspire to and certainly appreciate. I think of it like, I, I can't think of anybody that doesn't like Bruce Springsteen. He might not be your favorite, favorite artist, but I challenge all of you to find somebody who actively dislikes Bruce Springsteen. I just, I can't imagine, I can't imagine that person existing. And it's interesting too, to think about how he's pulled that off because this is not a person who has sidestepped political issues in his, his in his music at all. Um, you have, you know, the promised land, which Dan talked about earlier, which is, you know, definitely talking about societal issues and you have a song that is routinely misused as being patriotic and born in the usa which is totally a protest song but yet there's still something that 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 sound you know gabe to go back to your point there's something that sounds uniquely american about the music that it creates and maybe it's as you dig a little bit deeper into the lyrics that you realize that you know there are deeper meanings that he's trying to point out and there are messages and there are themes and there are emotions that he's trying to communicate and maybe that you know it requires that little bit of a deeper dive in that sense but the sound in general is something that i think everyone can appreciate I mean, I think this partially this goes back to something we um, touched on in our in our tribute to the late Sean Connery, the late Sir Sean Connery. Um, it's authentic. He he has never been inauthentic with his sound, with his music, with the way he interacts with with fans, the industry, however you want to term that. He has always been Bruce Springsteen. He has always had, it seems to me anyway, this sound in his head that he's trying to share with the world. And yeah, when you, you get to something like Born to Run, everybody wants to escape, whether you're blue collar or whether you're trapped in an office building. You know, I mean, it, it, um, his appeal, I think, is grounded in the fact that what he sings about is universal. Yeah, whether it's, as was said earlier, you're relating to the characters in the songs or you know somebody like that, or he's just sketching it out so well, it's like reading a book. You know, it's, it's a living, it's, a, it's living what he's creating. It's, it's vital. Vital is a word that I think encapsulates what I think makes Bruce the boss. It's vitality. It's energy. Uh, it's that charisma. It comes across most evidently on stage when he is leading the band and when he is performing the heck out of these songs night after night after night after night. But you can also see it in... In, in the songwriting in those early days, we've made the joke a few times about how wordy they are. Like, that's not easy to do, to, to come up with all these, these rhymes and have them, you know, be entertaining and make sense, or make relative sense. It's a rock and roll song, don't get too crazy here. But, you know, have them make some sort of sense and have it sound fun. And then, you know, to, to take the time and energy to do the deep introspection to write some of the more personal songs. And then that vitality is what has enabled him to keep that up over this, you know, 45 year run that he's been on. Vitality, energy, charisma, 
that's what I think makes Bruce the boss. Can't argue at all with anything that you guys just said. I think you basically hit the home run on why Bruce is the boss. Um, he earned the nickname the boss in the early days from the members of the E Street Band, collecting money during the shows and then distributing it to the bandmates um, after the fact. That's you know, way back when, 50 years ago, why he was called the boss. And I think that has really, it's a name that has become very fitting um, and, and very appropriate, quite honestly, because of all the things that you guys mentioned. I mean, Jordan, you're right. This is a guy who has not, uh, not skirted social, political issues at all um, during his time, uh, you know, born in the USA. You're right, Jordan is, is, often misused as a patriotic song when really it's a uh, a protest song against the war in Vietnam. The Ghost of Tom Joad is a very similar angry song and um, I think there's no better version of a protest song and it's particularly poignant here in 2020 um, than the song American Skin, 41 Shots, which was a song that debuted live um, in that E Street reunion tour and is unfortunately um, still very prevalent today. That's the serious, somber, important part of Bruce Springsteen. That's half of the equation that's made him stick around for as long as he has. The other half is exactly, you know, Josh and Gabe, what you guys alluded to, the authenticity, the charisma, and to me, the fun. I mean, it's just fun to listen to Bruce Springsteen music. It's fun to sing along to Bruce Springsteen music, it's fun to listen to Bruce Springsteen music live, either on a recorded live version, and there's enough diversity between the studio recordings and the live recordings that it almost at times feels like a different song. Um, like Atlantic City is hugely fun to listen to live. And yeah, Off Nebraska is a little more of a downer in terms of its tone. And then the live performances and, and the ability to create memories. Uh, I, I think second to none for me in terms of a performer. Um, and I appreciate you guys all sort of indulging this little exercise here on Dorkfest, the podcast. Uh, with that, now that we have, you know, fully established why Bruce is the boss and had any of you three given the actual historical reason about why he's the boss, that would have been a slam dunk three points. But since you all took these, you know, holier than thou, more existential views of why he's the boss, that's going to leave, that's going to make my choice a little more difficult here. But three points and earning the title in this particular podcast to me, this is a very simple decision because Gabe is without question the winner of the Bruce Springsteen podcast because Gabe admitted from the very beginning that Bruce is not in his musical wheelhouse. And yet Gabe played along throughout the entirety of this podcast, thought up some really thoughtful questions to pick our brains and used his own relative musical experience to chime in and contribute and be patient with us during this little endeavor. So without question to me, the boss on this particular podcast, Gabe, congratulations, sir. Just to tell you how shocked I am and how little I actually deserve it. I'm going to quote Lord of the Rings to you. I'm going to tell you what Aragorn said to Arwen when she gave him the even star pendant. You cannot give me this. I don't know what the response is to that, 
but you might be able to tell me. <laughs> I, I believe, I I, to jump in there, I think that she says something along the lines of, I would rather listen to one Bruce Springsteen song with you than his entire catalog throughout the rest of our lives or something yeah. like that. I'm paraphrasing yeah, slightly to make into, it fit um, our podcast. This, this fellowship is jammed with broken heroes on a last chance power drive. Uh, it goes from there as Jordan. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad we got all that sorted out. Gabe, I was going to um, award you your prize for winning the podcast was going to be that our next outing is a total U2 excursion. But since you loused up your victory speech by shoehorning in more Lord of the Rings stuff, that's that's going to be tabled, at least for the time being. Until we can't think of anything better to do? Not necessarily quite that deep, but, you know, don't. That's never a problem here on Dorkfest, the podcast, anyway. Hey, no let's, shortage of, of words, much like the boss. Let's let's give a quick little sidebar shout out. Happy 20th birthday to you two's All That You Can't Leave Behind. Well done. Oh, that's a, a nice record, a, a nice throw, uh, a little bit of... Boy, Gabe just getting the participation trophy. Like yeah, crazy. In, in true millennial fashion. My goodness. Yeah, totally true. I, I deserve no part of this, but I will happily take it. And I'll, I'll share the pieces of, I'll mail you guys little pieces of the, of my participation trophy. The, the shards so, of Nysil? You know, see, if you'd gotten that reference word perfect, I might've, you might've got it. The shards of Narsil, we'll call it. There's wow. an R in here. I think. <laughs> Jeez. No, you guys have always been very uh, seriously. I, I appreciate the win. You guys have been very kind and indulging um, the Batman podcast alone. But yeah, no, this is this was a, a really fun thing to listen in with you guys, and the, the passion you guys have for for the boss here is is palpable. And and um, I mean, you've inspired me certainly to to do a deeper dive down that discography. I don't know. Insert song reference here. Past the darkness on the edge of town, into the glory days. Uh, with the ghost of Tom Joad right alongside me. Show a little faith, Gabe. There's magic in the night. Faith. Now that's George Michael, right? <laughs> well, I will say, whenever whenever he is performing live again, the four of us uh, got to make it to one. And it will happen. I know it will oh, oh, definitely. I mean, it'll be three or four years from now. But, but that hasn't stopped him, clearly. He'll have three more albums out by then. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Well, it took five days to record the last one. So I suspect, yeah, we, we could have a whole, a whole slew more here, but congratulations, Gabe and Josh and Jordan. Thank you for your, your thoughtful uh, insight, your memories shared as well. And to you, the listening audience, thank you so much for joining us on another edition of Dorkfest, the podcast. We strongly encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you enjoy your podcasts, be it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or on Stitcher. And please be sure to follow us on Instagram at dorkfest underscore podcast. We'd love to hear from you there. Connect with us on Instagram again at dorkfest underscore podcast the dork street band has taken its final bow for the evening thank you once again so much for joining us and we'll see you all again very soon on another edition of dorkfest the podcast for the ones who had a notion a notion deep inside 
that it ain't no sin to be glad you're alive. I want to find one face that ain't looking through me. I want to find one place I want to spit in the face of these badlands.